0: In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by Abbey, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at LLS.org slash bigclimb. (music) Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number one hundred. It is Tuesday, June second. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Uh, you know, this this is just an unusual time in life right now in America, around the world. Right, like things are just broken all over the place, and I, I, I've run into this this loop where I, I wake up every day. I turn on Twitter. I read about what happened the night before. I read about all sorts of things. And I find myself going from anger to frustration to sadness to feeling powerless. And that's how every day has been starting for several days at this point. And I think what I'm really looking for at this point is the path forward i'm looking for that distraction and it's not there anymore it's on hold like the distractions that that keep us from dealing with these problems which have been here forever for years for decades for generations they're not going away anytime soon and my coping mechanism and maybe many people's coping mechanism is to watch sports and dive into other things in life that simply are, are not there right now. So I've just really struggled. Like the, the times that we spend recording our pods, even when the distraction has been gone, those have been the only moments where I've felt good and normal. And it's, um, it's been difficult every every show for a while to, to kind of like get into the right headspace, you know, knowing what's happening around us.
1: Yeah, man. Um, uh, I'm hurting a little too. Um, I, uh, you know, I I was, I was pretty affected by, um, Ferguson. Um, One of the things that really uh, hurt me about that was, um, you know, I used to, I used to steal stuff, you know, I used to steal candy, uh, baseball cards, I, I used to steal stuff. And, um, I know that wasn't necessarily relevant to whether or not, um, you know, he should have died. Um, but, you know, Michael Brown, like whether or not he had actually, you know, stolen anything that it's not relevant, but that was like my personal way in was just being like, I could have been that kid. You know, I could have like rightly somebody could have thought I'd stolen something because I did. I stole stuff. You know what I mean? in fact, one time, uh, my aunt turned me in. Because she's like, where'd you get those cards? I was at the store with you. She turned me in, and we had a meeting with the cops and the store, and they had me write an essay. I wrote an essay. Um... And I have to tell you, man, I was like a precocious kid and it did not teach me a single thing because I wrote that essay in about five minutes and my cousin was having trouble with it and I wrote his essay in five minutes. And that was two white kids. You know, that was privilege. And I'm getting some pushback, like, oh, privilege doesn't exist. And, you know, you know, racism, the state of, Race relations in America. We were elected a black president. The state of race relations in America are overblown. Racism is overblown. And um, like a lot of people, uh, I turn to ice cream in these times. <laughs> um, uh, ben and Jerry's. I'm not making this up. Ben and Jerry's has a great one-pager about systemic racism and how it's real. And... It's current, and it's stat-based, and it's basically just facts, man. It's facts. And for people that, like, it's hard to see this necessarily, maybe. But, I mean, let me just list off some facts to you, because these facts are as painful to me as the fact that, like, I skated, I skated so often. I got in trouble in high school, and they looked the other way. They let me have positions of leadership, even though I had been I'd been suspended for drinking. They, uh, you know, they they literally looked the other way in the dorm in my in my in my dorm when I was when I was obviously stoned as a as a kid uh, it's because they said they I literally heard teachers say just keep getting your A's, you know, which I know is more complicated than just just the fact that I'm white or not, but it's it's it, it's part of it. Uh, but these stats, like, they they hit me as hard, man. Um, for every $100 white families earn in America, black families earn $57. White people own 90% of the wealth in America. Black unemployment has been consistently twice that of whites over the past 60 years. Blacks with college degrees are twice as likely to be unemployed as other graduates. Um... Let's see here. Black kids make up fifty percent of suspensions. Um, how about this? If you're driving, you're thirty percent more likely to be pulled over if you're black. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, we, and then the, obviously the criminal justice one. I, these facts I think are, are stark, but there's been a lot of memes that kind of muddy the water and and. and and there's a lot of people who say, "Oh no, just you know, there's, black, there's more black people committing more crimes." But the, you can you can you can account for that. How about this? When a black person and a white person are convicted, they're both convicted. They both did the crime. Blacks are 20% more likely to be sentenced to jail and 20% longer sentences. So. You know, when I say like forty percent of the prison population is black instead of thirteen percent of the regular population, and I say that's a problem, then you might say, "Well, they're committing more crimes." No, if they are, if they're both convicted, a black person is twenty percent more likely to be sentenced to jail. So, I mean, these are real complaints, man, and it's 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 about the police, but it's it's about everything. It's about the systemic situation and it's being brought to bear because of of the coronavirus because you know right now for example like a hyper current piece of information is that you know white uh, unemployment is up yeah 14 percent. black unemployment is higher 17 percent um and we're we're seeing so many people out of work especially in uh the service economy that you know it's not necessarily true that just Unemployment and the stimulus and all this are 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 helping people get by. Some people are not getting by, um, and you throw it together uh, along with yet another image of um, a white cop with a a knee on the on the neck of a black person. Like, I mean, eight minutes, man. He had his knee on his neck for eight minutes. They knew each other. That guy, that cop, had a, a history. Seventeen times he'd been cited. So I don't know, man. It just—I'm uh, sad about it, and I just wanted to push back on any, uh, this idea that like we've solved stuff and everything is a okay right now. I mean, it's obviously not. Um, and I think that the—I think the large percentage. It, social media is kind of a another thing. You were talking about waking up to Twitter, like we kind of see. It's kind of like the bubble. We we see slanted viewpoints. And it's really hard to change your mind when you only see things that fit what you've seen. But, you know, early on, here's an episode. Here's something that I did change my mind on. So early on, uh, there was reports of outside agitators. And so, you know, Jacob Frey, I think his name is the the, the mayor of Minneapolis, said, um, that one night, the first night of riots, whatever, everyone they arrested was from out of town. Um, and I saw that as, uh, as in a way, sort of lending legitimacy to all the nonviolent protesters. So I saw that as, as an interesting uh, factoid that was like, hey, um, you know, not... Uh, not all the people who are protesting are, are are doing the violence, but I do know that there is a history of blaming outside agitators for these things and saying, "Oh, George Soros bust all these people, in. they're not real protesters." And 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 I know this has happened on the other side too. Like you know the you know we we've we've blamed Soros and we've blamed in this place in this time we're blaming uh, to some extent uh, white supremacist groups uh, for the violence. And so um, I guess another thing that. I've learned over this is that you know solidarity is key unity is key expressing yourself um, as much as some people will call it uh, you know uh, what's it called um, when you're you're signaling virtue signaling. signaling yeah yeah as much as that's a hateful term uh, and 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 it may appear as such what you're doing is you're signaling solidarity. Um, and you're signaling a willingness to listen and a willingness to improve uh, improve things, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum. I think you have to admit what we're seeing right now is not good, that it must be and it must be expressing a deeper problem and that we need to work on that deeper problem. Uh, that seems to me like a nonpartisan um, uh, you know, sort of fact-based uh, approach to this. So, um, I don't know, somebody might be listening to this and just, uh, and shove it all the way with virtue signaling, but, um, I'm just trying to come to terms with my own history within this, uh, our collective history, um, and, and see some sort of way forward, which is, is, is tough right now.
0: Yeah, a few more statistics that uh, I saw recently. Uh, ben Palmer from the picture List put up a very helpful thread. There was a study from UC Davis which found that the probability of being black unarmed and shot by police is about 3.49 times the probability of being white unarmed and shot by police on average. There was another That's stat crazy. from this is analysis from the Washington Post. The only thing that was significant in predicting whether someone shot and killed by police was unarmed was whether or not they were black. These, this is our reality. We've been living in this reality every day we've been on this planet. And I I, I have not done even what is a tiny part to help make it better. I, I in, in, in this odd way, I, I feel like I have not done nearly enough to help make this go away, to help make this better, to be part of the solution. And I really think it is a, a common reaction to be outraged, to be mad, to be sad, and to forget. And it has to be different this time. It just has to be.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I think it will uh, because there's nothing going on, but, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, like someone literally yawned at our colleagues uh, piece when I shared it about the racism they'd suffered. It was a white man. Of course it was a white man. But how can, how can someone yawn at this? Like, Mm. the, the anger is tough. Um, so I, you know, I, there's an obvious, uh, first, first step, which I've talked about sort of communicating. I don't think it is necessarily communicating, uh, with your friends. Um, there's been some, you know, people have like, you know, my friend came over on Sunday and he's black and he was like, I got the email <laughs> from one of our our uh our collective friends and um I don't know if that's necessarily the right way cuz what you're doing also is kind of maybe asking your black friend to absolve you um of your guilt perhaps and also putting a strain on your on your relationship and um I mean maybe if may, if you can find a way to to open up a conversation but um I think those are, uh, I'm not sure I, that that it seems to be like undue burden. It's not your black friends, you know, he doesn't have to be your, like basically be your psychotherapist on this. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> like, no, like not at no, all. I not at all. So. I think it's, I think it's a little bit more helpful. Like, I think actually, I think it actually, in this case, like a public, um, expression of solidarity is more helpful because, um, it kind of puts you out there as a friend to the cause. It, it, uh, communicates to the people that you are communicating to that you are friendly to this cause. And, um, it's a pretty nonviolent and non-intrusive way of being like, Hey, um, I agree with this, uh, that this is a problem. And then the other thing is like actual uh, boots on the ground type stuff. So you know MinnesotaFreedomFund.org dot um, org just helps people uh, that are in trouble um, uh, that have that were probably nonviolent protesters. You know makes bail payments um, and uh, does other uh, does other organizational stuff. Um, so I think. I like the Minnesota Freedom Fund. Um I also had a, a thread that um I was looking at from Samuel Sinyangwe um who his his Twitter handle is S A M S W E Y um and he has a a thread about what actually hurt, what actually helps what we can do about uh, police violence in particular um and it's uh, some of it's fairly simple. Uh, more restrictive state and local policies governing police use of force uh, have worked. Uh, demilitarization uh, has worked. Uh, police union contracts—you uh, know—trying to to uh, negotiate them in good faith and and, and, um, and negotiate more often and uh, put stuff in the contract about force. That works. Um, and then on a higher level, there's predictive policing on the police. And Rob Arthur has written about this, too. Um, it is to some extent true that there are some bad actors within the police force. And so predictive policing can basically find people like this guy, uh, Chauvin, who had 17 complaints and, and remove them um, from the chance of doing so again. And. Um, uh, it also it's also true that they spread their ideas uh, around um, at the police force so um, there is some there's some sort of high-tech um, predictive policing type stuff uh, that can do that so um, but uh, you know invest in alternatives to police as crime prevention strategies and for every 10 additional organizations in a city they reduce the murder rate by nine percent they reduce the violent crime rate by six percent they reduce property crime rate by four percent so You know, there are things that work um, and, um, you know, we just have to kind of get to those things and and work on them um, and not really like turn away in horror at the violence uh, that we see and just label everybody um, that's that's protesting. You know, my homeboy Robert Sanchez was out there in Denver and that looks super, uh, super calm and and nonviolent with thousands and thousands of people. Um, you know, we see one, uh, window broken and we hear about that on social media and we hear about that on the news more than, uh, these thousands of people that are coming together, uh, of across all races and being nonviolent. So, uh, you know, there are some things we can do concretely.
0: And I think what makes it all the more difficult to absorb and navigate is disinformation everywhere. I mean, it's it's a, it's a rampant problem in and of itself that is continually shaping the way people see what's happening and interpret what's happening. It's just so dangerous. And there's really no sign of that ending anytime soon either.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a, and that, it's going to get worse too with the election season coming. I mean, there was a, a an Antifa account with a bunch of a bunch of followers that was purported to be a, a, a leader of a local antifa um, a group that turned out to be a white supremacist, using it to to um, urge antifa followers onto violence, and Twitter like had to come out and and say this and, and admit it. Um, I don't know. I, I will say that as. Backwards as some of the Twitter policies, and 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 as uh, as much as they could be maybe abused in the future, and as much as um, they seem to be dragging their feet on it, like you know, the fact that there's a fact check thing is kind of interesting. I would like to see how that goes. The fact that they did that, they will, you know, sometimes. I don't know if it. I I don't I haven't seen stats on how often they do it and how good they are at doing it, but the fact that they do sometimes. You know, out these accounts and and deal with it. It seems a little bit more than what Facebook is doing, um, and so uh, I guess kudos. You know, to to Jack. Jack also the the Twitter guy who came out against police violence, and I don't know. It, it could all just be lip service. It's it's really hard to know it's true, uh, and that's another thing. That I think you know, as as people who are listening to this who are, are into data, you know, and into trying to use data to figure out what's right. Um, I think what's frustrating is that aspect of what's going on right now and what's going on in the world is, yeah, the disinformation and the how hard it is to, um, to kind of go through and and get the right numbers. I've talked about a little bit with coronavirus. Like I was really surprised when I tried to find research, um, proving certain things that we thought were totally true and, and and just trying to find good numbers. Like I talked about how like using case numbers is not a great way to, to, to judge how the state of an outbreak, because we, the, the taste, the, the the status of testing in that, in that region is always uh, in flux. And, um, you know, the CDC was actually adding anti, uh, it was antibody tests to, uh, you know, the, the, the swabs and stuff. So that's, that doesn't make any sense because those are, you know, two separate populations. So the data that we have, like we're getting more and more data and it's just, it's really hard uh, sometimes to see through to the important stuff and see through to the, to the right data. Um, And I don't know that I have an easy kind of go to this link uh, answer for that one.
0: I don't, I don't know if there's such a thing that it truly exists. I mean, that's just the, the world that we're, we're in right now. We don't, we don't have that, that clarity. And it's just maddening on on so many levels.
1: Yeah, it is interesting that the role of the coronavirus in this, in, well, you know, first it, like it seems like these uh, gatherings of people are definitely, like could be super spreading events. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't see a lot of masks on, so... Um, I wonder what that is going to do. Uh, but then also just like we have nothing else, you know, um, we have nothing else to, to look at, to do, you know, we've watched every single Netflix show that there is.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> a, a sad truth, but I mean, again, our, our colleague, Levi Weaver had a, a very, I thought it was a, a very on point message. I think it was over the weekend he tweeted, maybe it's good. We don't have sports right now. Maybe a distraction is the last thing we need. Maybe we all need to see this with very focused and open and extremely uncomfortable eyes. I think there's a lot of truth in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, difficult to, uh, for us to, as you can probably hear in our voices, um, not, uh, not our normal show. Not the uh, show we had envisioned. For 100
0: no not at all
1: um we'd hoped to uh we'll push it we'll, we'll do some of this in the future uh, we'd hope to look back on some of our favorite moments of the first 99 episodes and um we'd hoped uh, a while back that we would have uh we'd be able to discuss the upcoming season that there would be news um uh, good news in that regard um i guess um i guess there is some um Two things that I, I see as hopeful in the most recent negotiations are that the owners have switched to arguing about how much they're going to pay in terms of per game as into how many games they'll pay for. Um, and so they're talking about 50 and 40 games and the, and the players are talking 110. And amazingly, if you look at the midpoint, it's 82.
0: Yeah. Shocking, um, right? That that's, that's the sure. middle ground. It, But it's... It's like watching the wealthiest person you've ever met in your life haggle over a used t-shirt at a garage sale. Oh, that's what they're doing, and it, so that's what people's using lives. A like,
1: analogy. That one's way better. But oh. this
0: is what like people's livelihoods all hanging in the balance too, which just makes it oh, all so the more bad. frustrating. It's it's ridiculous. And oh.
1: when I yeah when I when I so I was born in Jamaica. When I go when I used to go back there, I, I used to bring somebody with me every time, and um. You know, my relationship with the hagglers and the, the sort of uh, the people who were selling their wares was uh, I normally didn't buy it. Um, and if they would yell at me about not buying it, I would yell back at them in Jamaican, and, and um, everything would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the worst was when I brought uh, friends that uh, would haggle and I'd be like, dude, you're trying to buy that shirt for five dollars US and you're you're trying to get it down to $2 US. Can you just, can you just buy it for $5 US and not make me feel super uncomfortable next to you? <laughs> like, I know you have the $5. You know? um, so that's, that's a, it's a really good analogy that you've come up with. Um, also the uh, the other one I was having was like, you know, the worst, uh, the worst guy in your fantasy league that's like trying to offer you their worst player for your best player. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: right. It's um, I, I think it, it's easy to make the, it's like the keeper league where maybe you've got Mike Trout, but you're not going to win the league this year, so you you put him up and you say, hey, you know, Mike Trout's available, and someone comes up and is like, I'll give you three dollar Omar Narvaez for Mike Trout, <laughs> and you're just like come on like just start, and that's what start like closer. that's what
1: it's felt like at first when the players and the owners were coming at each other just like you know revenue sharing come on you know we're not going to do revenue sharing like we had a strike about that you yeah. know we had a strike about the cap like nobody's doing a rev sharing cap situation um and then you know the players came back and like oh you want to cut the games we want to play we're going to play 120 with double headers <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like that's on, that's guys. not gonna happen either, but it's it's just it's the way those two sides engage each other. I don't know why it has to be that way.
1: I think it's actually a lesson for like how we engage on on Twitter and how the left and the right engage. Like it seems like uh we're all kind of zero summing and 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 you know, pushing forward and saying the most ridiculous thing to try and get whatever concession we can get, you know? Um and it's really unfortunate because that's a that's a stratification. It's it's really harder, much harder, to find the middle if you're you're both coming at it from crazy angles like that. Um, but the other the other piece of hope I got was um, the beginning of a discussion of deferred money. Um. So I know that uh, deferred money is not the same as current money. However, in the current economic environment. Deferred money does not hurt as much. It does not hurt the players as much and does not hurt the, the owners as much as current money. So it actually is an ideal outcome because uh, inflation is very, very low right now. And that's usually inflation is what robs future money of its value, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I give you $5 now or $5 50 years from now, you, you can understand that one pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, that one.
0: that one's pretty straightforward. Right.
1: But. Five dollars now and five dollars next year is actually uh, there might be deflation depending on how bad uh, the envi- the economy gets, um, and there's been some evidence of of some deflation in, in certain consumer goods. So um, if the five dollars next year is even worth more, like you know, and then from the perspective of borrowing, interest rates are super super low. Um, so uh, it's deferred money. I, the the I think the player said something like if there is no postseason, um, we'll let you defer a hundred million dollars in salaries. I think that's a um, that's a good start. I think that if they upped the deferred money portion of their offer, and the owners get to eighty dollars prorated, uh, eighty games prorated, then I um, I think we'll have an agreement. And then the last thing that uh, is somewhat hopeful but is a kind of uh, lawyery and I can't speak to um, how great of a foundation this is um, but uh, Martino Andy Martino had a piece about it and basically it's this there is an agreement in the agreement there might be language that says that they can renegotiate. however, if there is no new renegotiation of a deal, then the current deal on the table, the standing deal, is the March deal. I think this is like I think this is true, sort of as contractual law goes. You know, um, if you like, and so the current standing deal is that the commissioner can set the the the, the schedule whenever he wants, and that it's going to be prorated uh, prorated uh, salary. So that's why they're har- arguing about how many games it's going to be, because the if the current agreement stands. Uh, you know, the commissioner could say we're going to have a 10 game season and it's all going to be postseason. He could, uh, which would be really weird for fantasy.
0: That would be very weird. That would make it a DFS season.
1: Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't know. I think those three things are somewhat hopeful. Um, and so I, I think I'm pushing uh, my likelihood of the season to. Seventy percent. You think you could put a number down?
0: Yeah, I was. It was around that number. I was probably a little lower on it when the first proposal came out because I had a very Mm. emotional. Even though I wasn't surprised, I had a very emotional response to it. Mm. Uh, I would say seventy percent seems like an accurate gauge of of where things are at because
1: seventy seventy five somewhere in there. If you
0: just think about the basic timeline for. However they're going to put it together, if they're going to have a season, it's going to take about a week after an agreement is reached to get players to wherever they're going to train for spring training, which we presume to be the major league cities in which they play. It's going to take about three weeks after that one week passes to get players near the point where they can play in games that count. So, you know, add four weeks to the current day and that gives you an idea of like the most reasonable possible opening day and if you said one two three four four weeks from literally today june 2nd you're talking about june 30th yeah so the july 1st target that we've been talking about geez since march
1: yeah.
0: that's still in play but It's going to have to be one of these situations that changes very quickly if that's going to be a reality. I mean, if if July 4th opening day, if that's the reality, then a negotiation has to be wrapped up. An agreement has to be reached by the end of this week. That's four weeks from this coming Saturday. So I think there has been progress in the very slow way that these two sides work. And I do think it's more likely that we have a season than not. And all along, I think just even estimating how long it would take to do things without any sort of economic considerations, July is about when we expected a season to begin if there were ever going to be a season. So everything's still like in this chaotic way with baseball season still on the most likely path that we were looking at 10 weeks ago.
1: Uh, And let's uh, let's hope in the meantime... um We'll use this time to, to kind of think about what we advocate for and what we really think and um you know read up on you know I think the Samuelson and uh uh tweet thread is very interesting for people who follow data and want to want to look at uh data about policing um, men and Jerry's lots of links on that page, man. Um, lots of ways to kind of look at the data uh, and see if you think that there is systemic racism and if you think theres systemic racism and there's something to do about police violence then um, there's you know there's ways to donate to people who are doing the things that uh, Sinyangwe is talking about you know there's there's ways to donate and help and, and lend your voice to um, these groups that are doing good so I don't wanna i don't want to get anyone to get it twisted like I don't think all cops are bad I don't think all white people are bad I don't you know none of these don't put me in a box on any of that you know there's no there's no straw man here you know don't 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 uh, don't I don't think that looting is great no <laughs> um, no
0: one no one no one does like I, I uh, no, no reasonable person thinks that I think that's why the Twitter fights and Twitter arguments they frustrate me to the point of just walking away from the keyboard because It's just like yelling at a wall. That's what it feels like.
1: Ah, The stink stays stays with you too, and then I'm like walking around. My kids are wondering why I have a sour look on my face, and it's like there's someone wrong on the internet. Yeah, there's, um, you know, on the baseball side, there's there's some some corollaries here a little bit. It's like because I want baseball, does not mean that I want people to have be sick. No, obviously not because. because I think that uh the players could defer some salary or even take like a five percent pay cut or something uh on top of what they've done it does not mean that I'm pro owner you know um i and I'm not like I don't think I necessarily consider myself a centrist um but I do wish that people came i not come to the center politically but just I wish that people could find that common ground more often um I don't know thats I don't know if we've lost that or if we never had it, but um, finding common ground is, is important. Um,
0: I don't think we've had it in my adult lifetime. I'm 35, so I've been an adult for 17 years. I don't think we've had it. I think in my time as an adult, politics are Yankees Red Sox. They they're just, they're just a heated rivalry, mm-hmm. and it it just doesn't even matter what the other side is actually saying. It's perceived as noise, and there's no actual listening happening. Like they hear noise, but they're not listening to the words. And yeah. you see that in in the ways that people in both parties, politicians in both parties, the way they respond to basic questions. <laughs> the, the deflections are incredible. Just yeah. mind-numbing. Like, yeah. it, This is this is an example from where I live. It's, an, it's on my screen literally right now. Um, the senator, Ron Johnson, in my state, he's a Republican, was asked about the president's photo op at St. John's on Monday. And his answer was, didn't really see it. And I find it utterly ridiculous that someone would just blatantly lie that way. You didn't really see it. So you did see it, but you didn't really see it for what it was. And and, and again, people are gonna say, DVR, there are Republicans listening to your show too. I'm not I don't think the two political parties in America are working for us as citizens. And I'm constantly frustrated and outraged and annoyed at them. And again, it's another area where I'm frequently distracted by something else. And it keeps me from following through and doing something about it.
1: Yeah, the screens are just. And I'm so addicted to my phone right now. And it's so bad. It's so bad. I should. If there's anybody that should do this Blackout Tuesday thing, it's me, man. Maybe I will from now on I just it's uh, there's it just seems so consequential dude you know um, and you know as data scientists or, or no, I'm not a data scientist but as people who are into data like you're trying to make sense of of baseball as a world you're trying to make sense of the world as a whole um, and you hope that by kind of you know focusing on data like then you can be like see things clearly and regardless of party. Um, But then you have this guy who like did that really ridiculous COVID thing for the white house where he like fit a cubist. uh, He did like a cube. Oh my God. It was really, really bad stats where he just like fit a line on top of the COVID and said, look, we're going to have zero COVID in, in May in like the second week of May or something. I'm like, Nope.
0: Yeah. Disinformation <laughs> and manipulation.
1: And and so I don't know, you like it's you gotta see through you gotta see through to um the right data too, which is uh even for myself, you know. Uh for example with that learning about outliers and how they're used, that's almost a data conversation where I had to come to terms with it in my own way, um and, and figure it out. So I don't know. Um, I guess there's no way to end this, this one without a dot, 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 but, um, I honestly, you know, this is the first time in my life I've ever been accused of uh, spreading conservative propaganda, uh, this year. That's,
0: um, okay. Let's, uh,
1: normally I'm conservative. I'm, I'm, I'm being, uh, accused of being a, a communist pinko, whatever.
0: You can only be, you can only be one of, of two things really in this
1: world, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would just say that, um, let's just try to listen to each other, you know? Um, let's just try to listen to each other. Let's try to, try to figure out what the best way forward is and, and do that. We've got major problems with the environment, with public health, and with racial interactions. There's got to be things that work. There are people that study this. There's data out there. Let's read it. You know, let's highlight it, and let's support people that are that are working that way. That's. I think that's a a nonpartisan statement. Hopefully. Um. And I hope that everyone listening is is doing okay. Uh. I'm not. <laughs> Um, But we're doing our best. And uh, see you guys soon.
0: Yeah, that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Stay safe. We're back with you Thursday.
1: Thanks for listening.